just uh, four or five verses from Acts chapter 1. This is 7 through 11. Let me read uh, from uh, Dr. Luke's book here. He, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning, shall we? Lord, thank you for... Um, the fact that we stand in Christ. And when we stand in Christ alone, it seals our eternal destiny. When we stand in Christ alone, we realize that uh, we're not in control of our lives, but you are the, the sovereign God who knows everything about us, knows our past, our present, and our future, and we can trust you. So we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the um, sacrifice on the cross that paid our sin debt. And we give you praise and worship this morning. We pray that as we now look into your word, uh, before we spend uh, some time around the Lord's table, that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say. May we be like Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And may our lives be changed because of uh, your truth today through the power of your spirit. So bless us. Uh, We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. We have been looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and it's kind of an extended Easter uh, as we think about uh, what did Jesus do after he rose from the dead? He could have gone straight back to heaven, but uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says he made many appearances, uh, gave, giving infallible proofs that he was alive. And so the empty grave wasn't enough because it would lead to speculation that maybe somebody stole his body, but if the risen Christ appeared to you, then there's no doubt that uh, we would recognize that Jesus is alive. So the Bible says he made at least 10 post-resurrection appearances. We've looked at five of them so far. Uh, we know that on that Sunday morning, he appeared to Mary Magdalene there in the garden, had a conversation with her. That afternoon, he appeared to two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't know who he was. And Jesus led him in a Bible study from the Old Testament, telling them who the Messiah was. They had him stay for a meal, and then they realized who he was, and then he was gone. That night, he appeared to the disciples in the upper room. Remember, Thomas wasn't there. The disciples were there. The doors were locked. They were afraid that, hey, they've come after our leader, Jesus. Maybe they're coming after us. And then Jesus appears and speaks words of blessing on them, and they realize uh, he's alive. A week later then, he appeared to the disciples again with Thomas. Remember what Thomas said? He said, unless I put my fingers in the nail prints and my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. And so Jesus makes another appearance a week later with the ten disciples and Thomas is there. And Thomas makes that great affirmation statement, my Lord and my God. He realizes that Jesus is alive. But Thomas had to see for himself. Just like the other disciples, they, they needed that as well. 
And then two weeks ago, we looked at a fifth post-resurrection appearance. It was a little later on in the time frame, uh, and it was to the seven disciples. They had gone back to, the, to Galilee in the north, and they were, uh, Peter says, let's go fishing, and they, uh, they fished all night long and caught nothing. Jesus appears on the shore, and he says, hey, why don't you uh, put your nets on the other side of the boat? And they did. And then they realized after they caught uh, 164 fish, they said, hey, that's Jesus. And uh, they go to the shore, and uh, Jesus has breakfast with the disciples, and then he restores Peter to ministry. Peter's experienced a failure in his life, and he asks him three times, uh, Peter, do you love me? And I want you to, I want to use you. Feed my sheep. I'm not, I'm not done with you yet. This morning in Acts chapter 1, uh, we're going to look at the last post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. And uh, uh, it happened 40 days after he was risen from the dead, so about six weeks later. And uh, let's look at um, the outline here, and we're going to start with the, the place, the place. So in the liturgical calendar, Thursday of this last week would have been Ascension Day. Uh, just because Resurrection Day, Easter, and then for six weeks, 40 days, he made post-resurrection appearances. Then the disciples waited for 10 days. And then on Pentecost, 50 days later, uh, the, the Holy Spirit came. But this is, this is 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus is going back to heaven. Where did that take place? Well, let's, we're going to start in verse 12 of chapter 1. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. So here's the disciples and Jesus. They're uh, on this place called the Mount of Olives. Dr. Luke calls it a hill. Anybody ever been to, to Jerusalem in the Mount of Olives? I'm just curious. Um, I've not been. Okay, no one here has been. Scott Keene, our, our missionary, Scott Keene's in Israel uh, as we speak. Uh, visiting, visiting Holy Land. And, uh, so, uh, that's where this takes place. It's just east of Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. How long is a Sabbath day journey? It's 3,000 feet. That was all the Jewish law let you travel on the Sabbath day. You could go about uh, two thirds of a mile. Anything less, you couldn't, you couldn't travel. It, it was, the Sabbath was a day of rest. And so this is just outside of Jerusalem. And uh, they're on the Mount of Olives. And as we'll see, that's a significant place in the Bible. As we'll see, that's where Jesus ascended back to heaven from the Mount of Olives. Uh, if you know your New Testament, there's a whole section of Scripture. It's Jesus' second longest sermon, Matthew 24 and 25. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And it's all about the future. And so Jesus gave that message to the disciples there on the Mount of Olives. Why else is the Mount of Olives significant? Well, the Mount of Olives is significant because guess where Jesus is coming back? The book of Zechariah, the prophet, chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, tells us that when Jesus returns a second time, he's returning to the Mount of Olives. His feet will touch the mountain. Let me read you the, the prophecy. Zechariah 14, 3 and 4. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives 
east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. So guess where Jesus is coming back? To the same place that he left from. When he returns, he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. So that's that's the, the place where this takes place. Uh, let's look at the plan here from Acts chapter 1, the, the plan. And uh, we'll pick it up in verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them. Have you ever noticed as you read about these post-resurrection appearances that Jesus does a lot of eating with his disciples? And maybe that's partially to prove that he has this resurrected physical body. It's not a spiritual body. It's a, it's an actual physical body. So, so he was eating with his disciples. He gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem. You need, you need to stay put. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So just about six weeks earlier in the upper room, in John 14 through 17, what did Jesus tell his disciples? I'm leaving, and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and he will, will come, and he won't just be with you. He will indwell you. And so Jesus is saying, don't leave Jerusalem because this promise that I talked to you about is is coming. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, it was 10 days, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that's the instruction. That's part of the plan here. Don't leave, stay. Uh, The gift is coming, the promised Holy Spirit John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've got a question for you. It's not a trick question, but it's probably one that will maybe um, cause a little confusion in your mind. I'm going to ask you the question. Oh, have you been baptized with the Spirit? Have you been baptized? Some of you are thinking, oh, have I been baptized by the Spirit? What is the baptism of the Spirit? <laughs> There's some confusion in the church today about what it is. And maybe part of the confusion is because some of our charismatic friends say that one of the evidences of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is speaking in, in tongues. That's the evidence that, that uh, you've been baptized with the Spirit. So the answer to that question is that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been baptized with the Spirit. It, uh, let me read the, the, the definition here. Um, and this is from the Moody Handbook of Theology, the baptism of the Spirit is the work whereby the Holy Spirit places the believer into union with Christ. So at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit places you uh, in Christ. So he's just saying, in Christ alone. And we're united with Christ, not only with Christ, but with the body of believers. So it's a one-time event that happens when we're saved, and it's simply uh, the Holy Spirit placing us into this relationship with Christ and with, with all believers. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 12. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. So that's the baptism of the Spirit. Now, we go to Ephesians and it gives us another command, keep on being filled with the Spirit. So what's that all about? Well, it's not about getting more of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, but the command is to continually allow the Holy Spirit to be 
control in control of your life. And so that's, that's a repeated process as we, as we yield our lives to God and we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. And, uh, Paul says, keep on being filled. Let the Spirit control and influence your life and let Him, um, and live in, in Him. So Galatians, uh, 5, 17, uh, says, um, verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, so if the Spirit's in control of your life, you're going to live in a different way. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So there's this battle going on in our lives, even after we come to know Christ, of like what our flesh desires are and what the Spirit's desires are. Paul writes about it in Romans 7. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. And so Paul struggles with this. And this is the struggle of the the Christian life, isn't it? To allow the Spirit of God to guide us and direct us. Well, uh, verse 6 here, here's the plan. Wait in Jerusalem. The promised Spirit is coming. Uh, Verse 6, then they gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Isn't it interesting? Here we are six weeks after the resurrection of Jesus and all these appearances. What are the disciples still looking for? They're looking for uh, someone to set up an earthly kingdom. And it's like, well, maybe it's now. Maybe Jesus is going to stay and, and set up his earthly kingdom. I mean, that's the Lord's prayer, isn't it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that kingdom's coming. It just wasn't wasn't yet. wasn't the right time. And that's how Jesus responds. It's, it's not for you to know the times of that. But here's what he says. This is part of the plan. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be wit- my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So here's the plan. This this. Um, matter of the gospel and Christianity, it's not just for 120 believers that were there in Acts chapter 1. No, this is a global mission. This message, and the Holy Spirit will come on you, this message is going to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the whole world. And you will be my witnesses. You'll, you'll spread the gospel, and that's, that's what happened uh, the gospel spread like wildfire um, in in the book of Acts, um, and what was behind that a lot was persecution, persecution. So the believers were in Jerusalem. Persecution came, and they all spread <laughs> because they were being persecuted. And as they spread, what the gospel spread as well. And so um, that's that's the plan, and God's plan hasn't changed, has it? That's that's uh, the plan for the church as well. That. We need to have not tunnel vision, but we need to have a global vision and partner with God. What? To see how can we get the gospel to as many places as possible? And that's, uh, that is the plan. Well, now we come to verse 9 is the promotion. The promotion. So, uh, verse 9, after he said this. So these were Jesus' last words while he was on, on planet Earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, 
and a cloud hit them from their sight. So picture that in your mind. Here they are on this little hill or mountain, the Mount of Olives, and he, he tells them, don't leave Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's coming. Um, you'll receive power. You'll take my message to the ends of the earth. And after he says that, all of a sudden, Jesus starts levitating, and he goes up, 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 up into the cloud and out of sight. Um, not recently, but over the years, I've been to some uh, some Easter Easter dramas that churches put on, big big productions, and uh, uh, several of them ended with Jesus ascending to heaven. And the person that played Jesus then had a, a belt around their waist, and you kind of see the wire, and then they lifted them right up to heaven. Jesus didn't need a belt or a wire; he just levitated right up, and. Uh, and so he went back to heaven. Now, where did he go when he went back to heaven? The Bible uh, tells us the answer to that question. Where specifically did he go? Uh, four times in Hebrews, it says that he went and he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1.3, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Uh, Hebrews 12.2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So um, where is uh, the physical body of Jesus? He's up in heaven, and uh, it says that he's seated at the right hand of God. There's other scripture verses that says he's making intercession for you. He's, he's, he's praying for us, and he's our great high priest. So that's where the physical body of Jesus w- returned to. Um, so let's uh, continue to look at our outline then. The promise, the promise, verses 10 and 11. Uh, one commentator writes, The bewildered apostles responded like a convention of stargazers as Jesus is going up to heaven until two angels appeared and explained some things to them. And let's look at it. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. We, we would have to. Like, Wow. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. I think this is a rather uh, interesting question. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? Well, because Jesus just levitated up to heaven. That's why we're looking up. Uh, and then here's what the, the, the two men dressed in white responded. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. So there's the promise. Just as he went up 2,000 years ago, this same Jesus is coming back in the same way. He's coming again sometime. It's called the blessed hope. In fact, in the scriptures, there's eight times as many verses about his second coming as there are about his first coming He's, he's certainly coming again someday. And that's the, that's the promise yet to be fulfilled. But, um, he's coming, he's coming again. Well, let's look at how this passage concludes and then we'll look at some life lessons. Uh, verses 12 through 14. It, it, uh, the place, the plan, the promotion, the promise, the prayer meeting. So he says, um, don't leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what happened. Uh, then the apostles, as we read, returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, probably the same room where 
they have the Last Supper, um, that upper room there in John 14. And then we have roll call here. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. What did they do? They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with Jesus' brothers. So what did they do while they're waiting? Well, it's the same thing that's a really good thing to do while we're waiting. If you find yourself in a position in life where you're waiting on God for whatever, uh, this is a good role model to follow. What should we be doing? Well, we need to be praying while we're waiting. Now, there was some unfinished business that they took care of in the rest of the chapter that um, it, it was significant that they have 12 apostles. And so they uh, elected someone to take the place of Judas Iscariot. And they had two candidates, and they cast lots, and Matthias, uh, the lot fell on Matthias. So they, they elected someone to fulfill uh, Judas Iscariot's place as an apostle, but What they were mainly doing is they were praying. There was about 120 of them in that upper room, verse 15 tells us. So it was the apostles. It was some of the women who helped Jesus in his ministry. It was Jesus' mother, Mary. It was Jesus' brothers. Now, some of you might not be aware that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had other children. And Mark chapter 6, verse 4, uh, lets us know that. And uh, Mark 6, 4 says uh, Jesus is back in his hometown. And they're like, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of, here they are, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. So Jesus had at least four brothers. And the Bible tells us, They didn't believe that he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. And then after the resurrection, they believed. I can sympathize with that. It might be a little difficult to believe that your brother is the Messiah. Come on. Yeah. But he was. And so there's this prayer meeting that's taking place. And while they're there, they are waiting for the fulfillment of of the promise. And uh, as you know, as we will see that uh, what happened 10 days later, uh, things began to happen. The church was born, and it was the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came, and there was the sound of wind, and, and uh, tongues of fire sat over uh, everyone's head, and there was dramatic signs uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit then came, and uh, the church was born, and lives were changed. Well, that's what they were waiting for, and that's what they were, were um praying for. Well, this morning, before we uh, gather around the Lord's table, then let's, um, let's think of some life lessons here that uh, we can learn from Acts chapter 1. Here's the first one. First one is this. The commander instructions given to the disciples in Acts 1.8 is also part of the mission of the church, isn't it? So when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, that wasn't just for the twelve. Uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, it's given to the, the, the church and it's given to us. What We have a responsibility, what, to take the gospel everywhere to the ends of the earth. 
So what's the target group for the gospel? It's the world. Uh, that that every every person is created uh, has a soul and needs to hear the gospel. So a couple years ago, now I think it was two years ago, we did something called the Acts one eight project based on Acts one eight, and we prayed about channeling uh, funds that the Lord has blessed us with into into mission. So uh, ten thousand dollars into local mission. And then we picked a couple of missions that were based in the United States, and we gave them a gift of $10,000. And then we picked a mission that had a, a global impact, and we passed money on to them. And that was a fun Sunday. All these missionaries came. You know, if you call up a missionary and say, we'd like to give you a large sum of money, they show up. <laughs> they, 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 they get excited about that because they love to partner in, in ministry. And uh, that's what we're looking to do again with uh, the Shirleys and... and uh, Live Global, um, because this ministry um, changes the lives of kids. And we'll explain how that's done, and uh, uh, that's exciting. So realize also with, with our missionary uh, families that um, we, we partner with missionaries. We have a global ministry. Um, Sometimes I put prayer letters out on the ministry table. Sometimes I put them in the bulletin. I probably need to do that more uh, more consistently. Uh, but we have um, missionaries in Scotland, missionaries in the country of Nepal, uh, Papua New Guinea, Canada, the Philippines, uh, the United States. Uh, one couple, the Valcarcells, that uh, ministered in Spain for a, a long, long time, and now they're back in the States continuing to minister to Hispanic people. And uh, those are those are our partners that we uh, pray for, uh, that we support financially. And uh, why do we do that? Because we got to get the gospel everywhere, and that's God's uh, that's that's the mission. Well, life lesson number two is this: always remember the two power sources for doing God's work. Always remember the two power sources for doing God's work. Uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 6, 1. It says, we're co-laborers, we're co-workers with God. Uh, and so when we do any kind of ministry, we need to remember our our power sources. What are our power sources? They're found right here in Acts chapter 1. Prayer and the Holy Spirit. Prayer and the Holy Spirit. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. And uh, uh, the uh, prayer moves the hand of God. And so if we're not uh, being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, if we're not praying, we're not tapping into the power sources. And so uh, what, what was the dynamic in, in Acts chapter 2 as the gospel just spread? It was the Holy Spirit, Acts 2. When the Holy Spirit came in that dramatic event, what happened? 3,000 people came into the kingdom. And then the early church, what was the key dynamic in the early church? Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place they were they meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. And so prayer and the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, so whatever ministry we have, whether it's a Awana ministry, whether it's a teaching ministry, whether it's beyond Awana, whether it's preaching, um, whatever ministry you can think of, prayer and the Holy Spirit are the power sources. 
And if we try to do it alone without that, guess what? We're going to get discouraged really, really fast because we're not plugged into the power source. Galatians 2.20, think of 2.20 power. Um, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christ and the Holy Spirit and prayer um, are the power sources. Zechariah 4.6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. All right, third one, last one, uh, life lesson is this. The promise of Acts one eleven should impact our lives. The promise of Acts one eleven should impact our lives. What is, what is the promise? The promise that the uh, two men dressed in white said to the apostles, this same Jesus that you saw take it away is coming back in the same way. Jesus is coming again. It's mentioned over and over in Scripture. And what's the next prophetic event on God's calendar? And we look at the eschatology and the doctrine of last things. And sometimes there's a little bit of disagreement as far as timing of things. But we believe that the rapture of the church, that Jesus is going to... Um, the there's a twofold coming of Jesus. The first one is the rapture of the saints, and he meets them in the air, and he takes them up to heaven. But then seven years later, uh, Jesus returns to planet Earth. And so uh, the promise of his coming, uh, Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter in the Bible, verse 7, uh, words of Jesus, look, I'm coming soon. Verse 12, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. Uh, the next, the last verse in the Bible, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. <laughs> Three times in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Uh, that word soon might be interpreted quickly because it will be quick. But the fact of the matter is that the Bible says that Jesus is coming again. And so three questions to ask ourselves as we think about the fact that how should this impact our lives if he's coming again? Well, here's the first one. The first question is simply this, am I saved? Are you, are you ready for Jesus' anytime return? And so um, lots, of, uh, lots of stories in the Bible about being ready for the return of Christ. And how do, how do we be ready? Well, we may, we, we're ready by putting our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior because He's either going to be our Savior or our Judge. <laughs> and uh, you want to be ready to have Him in um, relationship as your your Savior, not not your your Judge. You see, someday every person will acknowledge who Jesus is. That's in in Philippians. Paul says, uh, someday every tongue will confess. And every knee will bow who Jesus is. The problem is for many people, it'll be too late. So are you ready? Do you know Christ as your Savior? And if not, then uh, today's the day to make sure that uh, your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. We had a small memorial service yesterday morning in our fellowship hall. 
for Tracy Greenfield. And um, Tracy's husband, Gary, came here for a couple years, uh, about six or seven years ago. Then Tracy got very sick. She's 59 years old. I had the chance to visit her three times before she died and shared the gospel with her. Um, we had about 20 family members uh, at the small memorial service and um, had the chance to challenge every one of them. Are you ready? Do you know Christ is your Savior? This is, the, this is the pathway to salvation. This is how you can have the hope of eternal life. And so that's, uh, that's the key question. Are, are, are you ready? Uh, secondly, am I serving? Am I serving? So um, what are we supposed to do until Jesus comes? Well, we're supposed to be busy, what? Serving and sensing a sense of urgency to, to minister and to get the gospel. And uh, again, lots of, lots of parables about um, Jesus giving people talents and abilities and then uh, the day of accounting comes and, um, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You took that gift and you used it and you multiplied it. And then the one servant said, well, I, I, I just buried it and here it is. And, and Jesus gives them some words of condemnation. So um, are we busy? Are, are, are we, we serving? Are we using our spiritual gifts? Uh, John chapter 9, verse 4, when Jesus was here, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We have a limited time here. Uh, we have a limited timeline to what? To serve and to share the gospel and to um, use our, our giftedness. And so am I saved? Am I serving? And I really spilled over into the third question here. Am I sharing? And uh, that's, uh, that's the, the, the gospel. Am I sharing the gospel? Uh, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's what the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Uh, Romans 1.16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes to the Corinthian believers, and he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Here's the gospel, probably the most succinct message of the gospel in all the Bible. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. He took our sins, and when we put our faith in him, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. There it is. What a great, what a great exchange. Our sins for Jesus' righteousness. And uh, that's, uh, that's the message of the gospel. Well, that's uh, the last post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, and uh, he's, uh, his last words were, I'm coming again, and uh, I believe he's coming soon. We need to be ready, we need to be serving, and we need to be sharing. If we're going to close our service this morning with um, really playing a hymn uh, that's a familiar hymn to you, but I really think it, it kind of fits in with uh, our whole passage here this morning as we prepare for the Lord's table. And uh, it is well with my soul. Do we, we've got that hymn, don't we? Why do I doubt that? So I, I knew we did. Um, but let me read you the background of this hymn. And uh, I think when we get to the fourth stanza, we'll, we'll stand and sing the fourth stanza together. 
But uh, this is the background. I'm sure a lot of you have heard this. This was written by Horatio Spafford. He was born in New York on uh, October 20th, 1828. He was a, a well-known businessman. When the um, had lived in Chicago, and when the Chicago fire came, it it wiped him out financially. And yet he had a strong faith in, in the Lord. Uh, and so here's what happened. In 1873, Spafford decided his family should take a holiday in England. Horatio was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead, his wife and four children, all daughters, 11-year-old Anna, 9-year-old Margaret Lee, 5-year-old Elizabeth, and 2-year-old Tanita. On November 22, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on a steamship, that vessel was struck by an iron sailing ship. 226 people lost their lives as the steamship sank in 12 minutes. All four of Horatio Spafford's daughters perished. But remarkably, Anna Spafford, his wife, survived the tragedy. Those rescued, including Anna, who was found unconscious, floating on a plank of wood, subsequently arrived in Cardiff, South Wales. Upon arrival there, Anna immediately sent a telegram to her husband, which included the words, Saved Alone. Receiving his wife's message, Horatio set off at once to be reunited with his wife. One particular day during the voyage, the captain summoned Horatio to the bridge of the vessel. Pointing to his charts, he explained that they were passing over the very spot where the steamship had sunk and where his daughters had died. It is said that Spafford returned to his cabin and wrote the words of the hymn that we're going to hear, It is well with my soul. So why don't we listen to those words and um, when we get to the fourth stanza, we'll, uh, we'll join in and sing the fourth with, with them. Lord, we thank you for this uh, bread that we're about to partake of that um, was uh, symbolizes your body which was broken for us and given for us. And Lord, in this uh, month where uh, we celebrate and remember those that gave the ultimate sacrifice, so let's give thanks. Lord, thank you for uh, giving us your most precious possession, um, Jesus, to be our Savior. And uh, just thank you for this wonderful gift of salvation. And Lord, sometimes if we've been uh, walking with you and safe for a long time, we begin to take it for granted. So may you just uh, reaffirm in our hearts and minds the, the joy of uh, forgiveness of sins and eternal home in heaven. And Lord, we look forward to um, someday uh, when we'll be with you forever and ever. And uh, Lord, um, that day may be getting uh, sooner as we look forward to the day when you uh, come again someday. Help us to live with that expectancy. Uh, Lord, help us to be ready, help us to be serving, and help us to be sharing until you come. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.